Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're going to continue our study through the book of Genesis, and today we've reached Genesis chapter 2, and we've reached verse 18 to 25. This is where God makes Eve and Adam uh, is... Sorry? No, that's fine. That's right. Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Today we're going to continue our study through Genesis and we've reached Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 to 25. I'll read those in a minute. This is where Eve is created. Um, we've been studying through these early uh, passages of Genesis because these are foundational understanding of everything else. It's so important we understand where the Bible starts and the whole story of scripture, so we know where we fit and where the story of salvation comes to play in the story as well. So important we get that right. Today, men and women, a controversial subject, I guess, and also why we need to see what does the Bible actually say here? Uh, so many thoughts and ideas come into our head when we address these subjects, particularly from our culture, which shouts at us all the time about how things should be and what's right and what's good. Here we have the basics, the foundation, the biblical underpinnings of everything else the Bible is going to say here in Genesis chapter 2. So let's, uh, let's get on and read these few verses. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in times of turmoil, we have a firm foundation to stand on. And I pray this morning as we look at these verses together and consider what they mean for us, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would uh, open this up to us, that we would understand them and apply them to our own lives and experiences, that you would change how we think and line it up with your word. Father, we want to stand only on the truth of what you said to us through the Bible, and we pray, help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of the things we're going to talk about today are quite complicated, uh, and, and no doubt challenging culturally for us as well. I'm going to finish this morning, just as a bit of a heads up, with five implications of all that we're going to say. So uh, for those of you who might feel that you're getting a bit lost in the detail, at the end we're going to say, what does this mean for me now and how I should be thinking and behaving today? So we'll end with those five implications, just to let you know that's where we're going. But let's just do a bit of a recap maybe. Let's remember that this story of creation is a story about who and why, and not a story about when and how. 
So it's a story about who and why, not when and how. And if you ask the wrong questions of a passage, um, you get strange answers, or you get no answers at all. It'd be a bit like opening you know, the instruction manual for your TV and expecting it to talk to you about how to cook a chicken. It just is not what it's about. That's not what this book is telling you. And so we need to be careful we ask the right questions of the right passages. So just as a, a reminder, that's where we are starting and what this passage is all about. Remember too that back in Genesis 1, as we've been working our way through, that the beginning was formless and void. And the, the process of creation is taking the formless and void, the, the kind of the, the emptiness and the chaos and turning it into structure and then filling that structure with God's creative wonder. And that's where we're going. And of course, as we travel through that story, it becomes increasingly complex. It starts with light and darkness uh, and day and night, and we end up with people and animals and creatures and all sorts of wonders. Um, and so that's what's happening. So, you know, it's earth and sky and sea. And, and, and with each... With each creative moment, with each day, there is a declaration of goodness and purpose over the creation and that the earth would be filled and that fullness would speak of God's glory. And the man and the woman are created in Genesis 1 and, and they are created of a different category and it's important that we recognise that. And we, we know that because the Bible tells us that they were made in God's image. In fact, it says... Uh, let us make them in our image, that is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead. And godly, God clearly and uniquely gives them authority to rule under his ultimate authority over everything else that has been made. So mankind is unique in creation because of this very important uh, line, this very important verse, we must understand this, we'll come back to this again and again, made in the image of God. This, this sets humanity apart from everything else in creation and then in Genesis 2 as we've arrived here now we get the sort the story retold and the main characters now are going to have names not just man and woman but Adam and Eve everything that's uh, been made and we said this as well has had this declaration over it it was good God saw that it was good each day that passes, each new aspect of creation that comes into being, God said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And now here in these verses, we suddenly see something different and potentially quite disturbing because the, the, the verses we read start with God saying, it is not good. <laughs> it's not good. Something has changed. Something is missing. And what's not good? It's not good because Adam is alone. He can't complete his mandate to fill and to flourish because no suitable helper can be found for him. We need to look at this word helper a bit because it can easily, uh, I think we can use it in all sorts of ways and we can imagine it in all sorts of ways. It could easily be thought, well, you know, Adam needs a helper because if he wants to nip, up, nip off down the pub, who's going to look after the kids? Oh, he needs a helper. Or Adam's got extensive plans for some house and so he needs a helper. Who's going to carry and, you know, who's going to do all the work if Adam's got a plan? That's not what this is. That's not what helper means uh, in this context at all. Firstly, it's God's plans, not Adam's, that he needs help with. God's plans, God's mandate to Adam and to Eve too, 
are to fill the earth and to flourish, to fill this created brilliance with, with life, with life that bears his own image. That's what he needs help to do, and he can't do it on his own. The literal translation of, of that word helper is, is actually a helper corresponding to him. He can't find a match in all of creation. There's nothing that corresponds to him, no one that corresponds to him, so he can't do his job. The word helper is also the same word that's mostly used of God in the Bible. In Psalm 121, we read this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It's the same word. My help, same word again, comes from the Lord. God himself is our helper. And that's the same word that God uses when he says no suitable helper can be found for Adam. And to make the point even further, Eve is made from Adam. This is a very special and connected creative act. Again, unique in all that God has done. And the emphasis is this, Eve is of the same kind as you, Adam. Do you get, do you get this? Do you understand this? And then only together could they image God in the way that God intended. And Adam responds to creation by saying this, she's bone of my bone, she's flesh of my flesh, or as Jen Wilkin puts it, same of my same. And so the emphasis in this passage is on sameness, because no suitable helper, no corresponding helper could be found, and so God creates a unique one, Eve is brought to Adam. That's the focus of this passage. And only together could they uh, produce other image bearers of God and fulfill the mandate to fill and flourish throughout all of creation. They could join in the creative act that God had begun. Uh, what a privilege, what an honour. And that's when, when, we, when, when we understand something of made in God's image, that's part of the picture to continue the creativity of filling and flourishing that God had started. Only together could they do it. Now there's a Jewish tradition around these verses which goes like this. God didn't take Eve from Adam's foot, lest he try and dominate her, or from his head, lest she sees herself above him. Instead, God took Eve from Adam's rib, that the two might go through life side by side. That really is the true emphasis of this passage. Now, Adam and Eve are clearly going to take on different parts of the filling and flourishing. You know, Adam couldn't do it alone. Eve can't do it alone. It's together. It's when these two corresponding parts come together that this mandate to fill and to flourish really gets underway. And you see, actually, you see that throughout those, those creation days back in Genesis 1. And let me put it this way. Where, where do we see the beauty even as we look at creation now. So often, it's at the intersect between the corresponding parts of creation. So day and night, where's the beauty? It's in the sunrise and the sunset. We see the land and the sea. Where's the, where's the beauty? The beauty is in the beach, is in the waterfront, is in the, the, way, the way the land meets the sea. There is incredible beauty and interest and wonder at those connection points, at those intersect points between those two things or between the sky and the land 
Again, the horizon, the beauty of the horizon, as the mountains reach up into the sky, there is incredible interest and beauty and wonder. And it's part of how God has made the world. And here again, the intention is that these two corresponding people suddenly come together. And, and even more than all those other parts of creation, there is beauty and wonder in the coming together of these two different yet equal corresponding parts of God's creation. Adam and Eve come together. And so the writer then says, look, it's, it's, it's incredible, it's wonderful, it's, she's made out of him, it's, they're part of the same thing. And, and then says, and this is, why, this is why marriage, this is what marriage is. Marriage is recognising that they are of the same kind, of one flesh. And marriage is the place, the only place where that is to be expressed. And it, and it, it can feel like a throwaway line at the end of that that, that passage, but actually it's so important because it says this, they were naked and they felt no shame. Such an important few verses. You see, what you have there is you have naked bodies and naked souls. Now our culture does a really good job of, of naked bodies, but a terrible job of naked souls, of bearing one's soul, of telling of the joys and wonders of humanity, of uh, for us, for fulfilling the mandate to fill and to flourish. And only in marriage do those two things come together, naked bodies and naked souls together. Nothing hidden, everything is shared. These verses that we've read and we've been looking at this morning, this is such a foundational passage for the whole of the Bible, for everything else that we might understand. It's, it's foundational because it's at the beginning, but it's foundational, uh, we know it's foundational because the Bible writers, particularly in the New Testament, refer back to this passage again and again. Seven times these few verses are quoted in the New Testament. We're pointed back here again and again to understand the foundations, the underpinnings of how we are to relate one to another. We've got to get this context first before we look at anything else. So what are these implications? We said that there were implications to all of this. What are they? Well, let's look at those. Men and women are made bearing God's image. That's the first, that's the first thing to understand. And we should treat each other, everyone we meet, with that understanding. C.S. Lewis has said this. C.S. Lewis, of course, the famous writer you will never meet an ordinary person in your entire life. You will never meet an ordinary person in your entire life. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. They are of infinite value and worth. Everybody, everybody. We categorize people in all kinds of ways, according to wealth and culture and race. This is part of the fall. But here we see this declaration made in God's image. Every time you look at someone, you are looking at someone who carries that divine spark of bearing the image of God. They are of infinite value. Infinite value simply because of that, let alone anything else we would add. We need to understand that and get that deep within us. We believe that about people, old and young, rich and poor, from next door or from far-flung places, image bearers of God, of infinite value. Secondly, the implication is this, we are made to fill and to flourish in the earth, to continue God's creative work. The implication being this, you have a purpose. 
To fill or and to flourish. To fill the earth with what? With God's creative wonder. Um, and the different giftings that God gives us um, are, are towards that end, to bring him glory. That can be through family, it can be through work, it can be through specific giftings that you might have. I was thinking about this as I was preparing, and I, I was remembering, I, I tend to think sometimes of people who have very different giftings to me, and I wonder at that. I do, how can you do that? How do you understand that in a way that is totally incomprehensible to me? And we were in um, Mozambique uh, a couple of years ago, Woody and I, uh, Paul Wood, one of our elders, we were there, and you know, I'm looking. We're there. It's in the middle of a jungle. It's just, it's incredible. There's a there's a lake full of of crocodiles and there's chickens and there's just, it's just an incredible place. Uh, and it's also a business. And so I'm, I'm like, I mean, it's, it's hot and it's humid and you know, there's snakes and there's, it's just amazing. And then we get into the business side of things, which is not my area, as you may be aware, but it is Woody's. And suddenly he's in a conversation around the financial structure of the businesses that are there to help uh, the Mozambicans find, uh, you know, a better way to live. And he's there talking, and I'm looking in absolute wonder. Woody and these guys are able to bring their particular gifting to fill and to flourish. They're, they are exercising their gifting in a way that, for me, is staggering. I, don't under, I don't barely understand one word in three that they're saying. But here is an example of a uniqueness that we all bring, different wonderful, maybe incomprehensible, but there is a purpose, to fill and to flourish in God's creation. Thirdly, they were created with dominion over everything else that was made. They were in charge. They were given a mandate to rule, but they were custodians of somebody else's planet. They knew it didn't belong to them. And the implication is, brothers and sisters, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but it's not your garden. It belongs to somebody else. It belongs to God himself. It's not just to be exploited to the point of absolute destruction. And of course, we know from the headlines, alarming headlines from around the world. And as believers, we need to pay a, pl- a, a serious part in making that correction. We don't just exploit all that's made. You don't exploit this gift, this beautiful gift that God has made and given to us. Having dominion over it doesn't mean that we get to just drink it dry. We need to look after it and tend to it. That's the way God intended. Fourthly, men and women can't do this without each other. We are the only ones to bear God's image. With the same bone of bone, flesh of flesh, great honour and respect is due between the sexes. It's so important that we get that right. Each part is unique, the same, and also beautifully different. And only in the beauty of us working that out together, men and women together, do we image bear, do we fulfill our mandate to fill with wonder and to bring the flourishing that God intends. And again, we have to stand on that against a cultural backdrop that shouts so many things at us. 
from so many, from a far right political position to a far left political position, we kind of got to somehow, we've got to dull that down and say, what does the Bible actually tell us? And it tells us this. It says, there is absolute wonder and beauty, but you've got to work it out together. You've got to work it out together. That's an implication. Finding what that actually means in our experience, in the experience of marriage, of friendship, of church, and in the wider uh, contribution that believers make into society as well. Now, the Bible finally has, has more to say. Fifthly, it has more to say about what men and women. But this is the first thing that it says. We need to allow this, what we've talked about in these moments, to form a firm foundation because other things will be built on it. And that's what I mean when I say the Bible refers back to this. They build on this, but this is the foundation. We need to start here. We need some, maybe we need to let this sink in a bit. Adam couldn't fulfill his create, creation mandate without Eve. Eve couldn't without Adam. They were of the same flesh. They were profoundly the same and yet gloriously different. And in the beauty of those interactions comes the filling and the flourishing that God intends. Just to say, later in the year, we're going to circle back to some of these passages, partly because the New Testament does, but also because we're going to talk about leadership in the church, and we're going to be referring back here, just as the Bible writers do. But please, uh, before we get to that, and before we start thinking about that, allow this as a foundation to settle in your mind and spirit so that we can push forward in the months ahead. Listen, in a few verses' time, very shortly in these passages, man and woman, Adam and Eve, are going to sin. The Bible calls it the fall of man. Sin and destruction is going to enter them personally, but the, the whole of creation is going to be affected. In fact, it's going to be spoilt so badly that it's almost impossible for us to comprehend what's going to happen. All that had been declared good, that had shone with delight and beauty, is going to be shattered and torn, pitching creation against its creator and the created against each other. We live in the results of that, but we need to see that God made something of, of immense, of unimaginable beauty and delight to fill and to flourish with his glory and his wonders. It's going to take God himself to come, to bring reconciliation to what has and what will be shattered. He, he did it on the cross to bring reconciliation between God and man, to give his life, to, to, to fill the chasm, to fix what was torn. And he still does this today. This is what he does. This is what it means to be a believer. You come to a point where you recognise, wow, the, the world is torn and damaged, and actually so is me. My own soul is torn beyond recognition. I need help. I need a rescuer. I want, to, I want to be part of the beauty of God's creative wonder. I want to fill and flourish. I want to have a future like this. But I need help. And the gospel, the good news is Jesus is that help. And we need to turn to him and say, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me. I'm turning to you now for help. Please forgive my waywardness. Please heal my torn soul. Please, I need, I need life or I don't have any. Please bring it to me now. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.